You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2023 classic, The Boogeyman. Okay, nice. That's, I did not know what sound you were going to do. I pictured the sound of a rolling moon lamp when I think of this movie. Well, I didn't have one on hand. I could go to HomeSense, I suppose, but we're not going to be doing that today. No, I felt the ironic use of an Irish lullaby. Uh, Interesting fun fact about that song, Lids. It was written and created by an American. So you're all singing a lie. I'm looking at you, Bing Crosby. It just sounds pretty. It just sounds pretty. You know, it's it's the fair tale of New York was written by an Irish guy. So, I mean, what do you do? Good fun fact. Good fun fact. This is a Lydia pick. It absolutely is. And it's not entirely only because it's a PG-13 Disney flick. And we all know how much I love those. Or because it's a Stephen King based on a Stephen King short story. That's part of it. Don't knock Disney. Don't forget. Back in the 80s. Uncle Walt wanted you to sit on his lap so he could hand you your fright card with the Watcher in the Woods. Very underrated uh, Disney thing when they were being a little bit more experimental instead of uh, (laughs) dystopian monsters. But the good news is if you have Disney Plus, you can watch The Boogeyman. If you don't have Disney Plus, you have to rent it. But I rented it. You rented it. And... I really, really liked this one. I thought it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think that it was up there with Malignant as far as unexpectedness. I didn't expect to like it, and me and Chris were talking before I sat down to record today about recalling when it came out in the summer. It seemed to be, don't waste your money, don't waste your time. It's a PG-13 Disney horror movie. What's the point? Like... I didn't know it was based on a Stephen King story at the time. I did not know it was made by the person that did Host. Now, granted, I didn't like Host, but a lot of people did. And I didn't know that it starred David Dismalkjian, who, however you pronounce his name, who I really do enjoy. I didn't know that it was one of those movies that gets away with being ultra horrific without being gore for gore's sake or prying on, like, you know, the current social ill that is scaring everybody and it's not preying on like very particular human insecurities like food we just watched the uh, society in the snow that's a horror movie if you ask me people stranded in the andes mountains for two months you know like that's a horrific thing it doesn't prey on that it doesn't prey on uh, rape revenge and things like that that are like affronts to us morally and psychologically or physically it, it's a very different supernatural horror that is just plainly supernatural horror and i thought it was very refreshing that they pulled it off as well as they did yeah i want to say that 
the number one thing that this film has going for it is the cast. Uh, I love Sophie Thatcher. If you guys haven't checked out Yellow Jackets, she's amazing in that. Um, she was in the Book of Boba Fett as a character that I really enjoyed. Uh, but the entire cast, and yes, Deschmalchen, you've got it right. That's how you pronounce it. Uh, a guy with an, uh, a peculiar, uh, uh, difficult, challenging pronunciation of his name, but good news for us. It becomes simple because the guy is just really uh, going deep into horror. He is all over the place. He's all over Shudder. He has that new kind of ghost watchy inspired film that everyone's been talking about where he plays like a, a late night host. Um, yeah, this this guy went from being a character actor where you kind of, oh, I kind of recognize that guy. He was in uh the dark knight he was um in uh those ant-man movies and now all of a sudden he's just everywhere he's everywhere and and the saddest part is that he's not in this film for a super long time spoiler alert he's just not uh unfortunately because i could have watched him from beginning to end i really did enjoy his performance so much but it's necessary and the, the person he plays is necessary it's quite different from what appears in the short story, but I think that I like this version of that character so much better because he's so much more tragic. So, so much more tragic. And it's a very tragic beginning to this film in that way. And I think that that catches me off guard a little bit because in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's Disney. It's Disney. But they had that really cool uh, cannibal film on Disney a couple years ago, too, which was the reason I had tuned into this as well, because I'm like, you know, when they say they're putting out a horror movie, they do deliver enjoyable horror films. Former 21st Century Fox film as well. This one was delayed. And I think that that was some of the problem in the summer when people watched it. They maybe expected a, a, like a, an R-rated gory horror film because it had been delayed or something. And then they, when they got what it is maybe they thought it had been dialed down to pg-13 levels for disney perhaps you know there's something to be said about pg-13 horror i think a lot of horror fans it, it's it's kind of like when you're talking about metal it's like do you like clean vocals or do you like not clean vocals and are clean vocals not metal to you some people say yes so in the same way that you're watching a PG-13 horror movie, some people are gorehounds and they want that, they want something to challenge you visually. They want something sick and twisted. They want buckets of blood. And there are lots of horror movies out there. Uh, you had mentioned the cannibal film Barbarians, was that, that was, or The Barbarian, is that what it was called? That I, I think you're referencing. Uh, that was inextricably on Disney+. Plus. I remember when I saw that there, I was like, what's this? And I check out the description and I see the trailer and I was like, really? Wow. Um, but I, I think time and time again, some of the biggest horror films are PG-13. That's why the PG-13 rating exists, right? To get more asses in the seats, more eyes on the screen. Because as much fun as it is to sneak into a, a, a movie theater when you're not allowed to go see a movie, uh, it's also just a hell of a lot easier to just ticket, please. Um, so, and, and we've covered tons of PG-13 horror that I know you like and I like and lots of people really like. So I think when it comes to a rating system of films, it really is all about 
the atmosphere. And if they're able to film it in a way that makes it seem as though nothing is missing. Now, sometimes in the case of the recent Five Nights at Freddy's movie, or perhaps even Megan, you know that a lot of these films get made with the intention of releasing an R-rated version of them on home video, and that can cause very jarring cuts, where you feel the lack of gore that the film is almost teasing you with, saying, ah, 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 we're leaving that to the imagination. I was like, you're not leaving it to the imagination. You filmed it, and you're planning on putting it out. That's when I feel like it suffers. But in this case, yeah. Also, there was one pretty fucking violent scene. Uh, like, we got a bisection in here, Lydia. A bisection. And it was the movie that I was thinking about that came to Disney that was about a cannibalism was fresh. And it it is so taboo busting and like so like it's it's scary. Like it's it's but it's that socially scary that uh sort of preying upon fears of uh, as a woman or preying upon societal norms for your for your scares but yeah this and it is tense in that kind of old-fashioned horror hammer horror haunted mansion kind of way they do the Shyamalanian style use of dark and light to a, a really really good effect it's scored well i don't it's not very memorable how it was scored but it, it wasn't obtuse so <laughs> that's a good sign it was just lit acted written amazingly and i'm not saying written amazingly because it's like stephen king property that it's based upon because it's so very different from that short story so whoever wrote this i'd have to look it up um they did extremely well okay before we get into the show entirely happy new year wes Happy New Year. It is 2024. It is 2024. Uh, I'm excited. Like, we're recording. This is our first episode we're recording in 2024. First one's going to be released in 2024. 2023 was a big year, not just for us as a podcast, but for horror in general. And you had the idea of wanting to do... We don't really ever do this. Um, I don't think we've ever fucking done this. But we're going to do a top five pick of our favorite horror movies from 2023. I do get, do you get asked this a lot? No. And I think that I listen to enough other podcasts or I watch enough other shows where people are going through their lists, usually top tens. And I, I like them because I like agree or don't agree or whatever. It doesn't matter. It gives me usually ideas of things that I might've overlooked, things I didn't realize had come up, things that I didn't know were horror sometimes, things that I didn't know that I would like. So I always look forward to it. And I just wanted to get a step ahead of Thomas before he asks us, because he might. Sometimes he quizzes us about our horror tastes. So here we are. I thought that a quick little top five. I also was curious if our top fives matched, if there was any crossover. So we don't know what's on each other's top five of 2023. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want to do all five or do you want to do one for one? Uh, let's do one for one like we're opening up Christmas gifts. Oh my god, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So at the bottom of my list from last year was Brooklyn 45. Did you end up seeing that movie? Uh, no, but I am aware of it. It isn't scary, gory, crazy horror. It's not even really deeply psychological horror, but I love a one act, one setting kind of place. It's a very good film in that way and they have a very constrained 
kind of area because it's a locked room mystery in a way but it does have some really cool social angles that would have been would have seemed unique for 1945 but it reminds us that everyone in 1945 was also in technicolor in real life and had very uh, different personalities they weren't all noir film rejects with intercontinental accents and the pressure of the war had basically had this boiler room sort of feel in the script so i really enjoyed brooklyn 45 awesome um my number five pick is called the ghost station it is a south korean film directed by young ki jong it is about a um reporter who is investigating a bunch of mysterious deaths and disappearances that have occurred in this underground subway station and it is revealed that there is a whole host of ghosts and monsters that seem compelled to be cursed to stay within this area and uh, cause havoc and the investigation is as to why that is occurring okay okay I haven't seen it, hadn't heard of it, so now I'm interested. I'm going to have to, like I said, the point of these things to get us interested in films, so I like that. Yeah, it's it's very generic in a sense, but at the same time, I just really had a good time with it. It was very, uh, it, it was just, I was very much in the in the mood to see some more stuff from Korea because I had been reminded, as we'll get to towards the end of the show, uh, how fucking good they are at making horror movies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So next on my list uh, was sort of a dark horse in a way and kind of tied for fourth place with Brooklyn 45 was Smile. I was turned off Smile in one way and turned on Smile in another way to see some of the reviews. I was sort of on the fence, but I took the plunge and... You know, I, I get there's a lot of plot holes in that film. There's a lot of hokey stuff that does not work. But the stuff that works works for me. And I think of it as part and parcel with the film It Follows, which I loved and I think about often. And I think about it as the same sort of story. So I really, I, I loved Smile. And I did find it genuinely creepy. So yeah, I really liked Smile. That's awesome. Uh, I had seen, obviously, like many people, I was... Uh, privy to the uh, guerrilla marketing campaign that they had around that film and how everyone was talking about it. Uh, I actually have seen the final scene of that film as a ran randomly because I was curious about something. And uh, I actually I can't wait to know how the fuck we got to that scene. So I'll be, I definitely, that was on my list to watch as well. Um, for me, number four, VHS 85. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with the VHS movies. I don't like them generally as much as a lot of other people seem to, uh, so much so that I had let uh, a few of them sort of pass me by, but after getting doing one of the honorable mentions that we did, or we were getting to one of the honorable mentions, uh, I had uh, watched, I've been more in the mood to watch some found footage stuff, and so even though anthology stories don't always work for me because I find that there is a lot of, there's usually one good story and then the rest are kind of okay and the wraparound is completely 
perfunctory. It doesn't matter. But the wraparound segment with uh, surrounding the, the Rory, I really enjoyed. Um, and Dream Kill was so good. I loved that segment so much. And but every one of the segments were consistently good. Like I didn't really find myself bored or wanting to get to the next one in any of the sequences. So VHS 85. Wow. That was on my list, but I took it off. It was like a contender. It was almost going to be honorable mention uh, kind of thing. But I was like, do I think about this on a weekly basis? No, I don't. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So that's a great one. Uh, number three is when evil lurks. And that is, I believe an Argentinian film. If, Oh, number three? Did I not say number three? That's my number three. That's your number three. Oh, wow. You go go ahead. Twinsies. <laughs> I was so, yeah. I was looking forward to us being twinsies. Uh, uh, so number three, it is. Yeah, When Evil Lurks, it was so unique. I really loved the take. I really, like, we were talking, well, we'll be talking about child death. This particular film bars nothing with the brutality. And it is very, very scary and very realistic as to how people would behave when there's some sort of weird outbreak or curse or something. I, I really found it very refreshing. Loved When Evil Lurks. I agree. Uh, I believe the film is uh, is Spanish, yeah. So um, the it's just so brutal and such a fresh idea for a possession story, which I also have a love-hate relationship with. I don't always love every possession story. I can get kind of, I'm like, okay, I get it. But in in a world where we got a new Evil Dead movie this year, which is all about horrific, brutal possessions, When Evil Lurks is just a better movie. Like, And that ending was so great. Uh, and I would love to do this for the show one day. Any one of these, honestly. But, like, I would love to do When Evil Lurks for the show at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I would look forward to having a discussion about this film and getting to watch it over again. Because, like I said, if I do, I do I think of VHS 85 on a weekly basis? No. I think about When Evil Lurks regularly since I've watched it. And it's the most recent, I think, on this list. So that's our number three. For my number two, it is Knock at the Cabin. Did you have a chance to watch that wonderful film? Uh, I did, as a matter of fact. It didn't Good. make my list, but it was a contender. Mm -hmm. I found it, again, unique, much like with When Evil Lurks, a unique take on a doomsday cult, perhaps. A unique take on something like uh, that Please Stand By film that came out also, I believe, last year, if not the year before. Um or batteries not included even, something like that, mm -hmm. where there's something supremely off in the universe. Uh, yeah, this doomsday cult feel was absolutely unsettling. I really liked the performances. I liked the fact that it saved me from reading the book because I have this book on my shelf and I wanted to read it. I just never got around to it. One of the few ones where I don't know if the book will live up to the film. I just loved every minute of it. What's your number two? Uh, my number two film is The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. This, Ooh, I've never heard of this. This is a wonderful modern interpretation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It is about a genius teenaged girl who 
suffers on a tragedy and through her ingenuity raises the dead uh, body of her brother who is now an instrument for vengeance that she has lost control of it is so well written it was um, written and directed by Vomani J story and it is incredible it's on shutter right now uh, highly recommend it Okay, that's what we'll do this weekend. Before we get to our number ones, we have honorable mentions. And my honorable mention came out a couple years ago, but it was my first time watch during this particular year. And it's Becky, about a girl who is a really rough piece of work. She's a crappy kid. She's a horrible little kid. She's a going to be a future juvenile delinquent, I believe. But uh, she goes to the cottage with her family and something terrible happens while she's off in her treehouse. And these horrible people have to contend with her and her revenge, uh, basically. I thought it was brilliant and just totally unique, something I would have never, ever... It was not on my radar. Chris showed it to me, and I absolutely loved it. My honorable mention is gonna drop some fucking jaws lids scream six what okay i i you know what i'm not as surprised as my what makes you believe because (laughs) i had a feeling that it might creep in here somewhere uh or if we did a bottom five more accurately (laughs) scream six right on okay so I want to say my documentation of disliking the Scream franchise is well treaded, and I don't really need to go over that, but I think that I have discovered what my primary fucking problem with the Scream films are, aside from its baffling, terrible writing, stupid narrative, like, it's the characters. I am so fucking happy that Nev Campbell was fucking exited out of that show. I don't like how it happened because she wasn't getting her money. But at the same time, Sidney Prescott not being in that film was such a breath of fresh air. I cannot stand that character. I cannot stand the fact that like an entire franchise narrative can't go five seconds without, your mom's a whore. That's why I'm doing this. Like, it's wild to me that that is the basis of these fucking movies. But uh, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega as the Carpenter sisters are so good. And it's a shame what happened. But Scream 6, I found myself really enjoying. And I kept thinking about how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I had rewatched all of the Scream franchise uh, and caught up with Scream 5 because I never bothered to watch it. uh, Because... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my partner wanted to go and see Scream 6, so we watched all of the Scream movies, and I hated the first four just as much as I always have for very different reasons that I won't get into. Uh, five, I was like, oh, okay, but again, we were treading on old ground with a lot of the problems with a lot of the characters that were alive, and by the last one, it's just Courtney Cox, which, again, was the worst part of that movie uh, that I couldn't wait to fucking be over, but the rest of the film is great. Um, really fun slasher and I just felt like I needed a slasher in the honorable mentions wow okay I'm shocked I'm shocked <laughs> uh, that's a good setup for our number one my number one was Evil Dead Rise Wow. and 
It's somewhat tainted because we went to the theater for it. It's also somewhat tainted by legacy. I love the Evil Dead films. I love that franchise. I like Sam Raimi. I like everything to do with deadites. You know, I couldn't not have this in my number one. And it's also just a good movie. It's scary. And recently, when I was thinking about this film, and I do think about it quite often, uh, the twist that they have that it seems to be happening elsewhere and other places uh, something that the grudge couldn't quite pull off this actually achieved that and it's believable and i like it and how terrifying the mom is just recently seeing someone else's video where they played clips from this it was just like yeah she is unfucking settling looking <laughs> so such good makeup such good acting i just really enjoyed evil dead rise uh, that was definitely a contender uh, in terms of like just a, a, a tour de force in demonstrating how cruel the Deadites could be. And and uh, again, I, I also really enjoyed that film. I just was looking at my list and I was like, you know what? Uh, I just liked when Evil lurked a little bit better. And I, and I think the fact that Evil Dead Rise was a legacy film... I, it took points away because I was like, well, here's something that just sort of stands on its own. I like, it, I don't know if that's fair or not, but yeah, I have no argument here with your number one pick. Uh, my number one pick is No One Will Save You, Ooh. the sci-fi horror alien invasion film. Um, this film from start to finish is one of the best films I have ever seen in my entire life. It is easily my favorite alien invasion film it is easily my favorite uh at least in the top five i don't want to be too hyperbolic but it is easily in my top five of um all science fiction horror crossovers uh it is just incredible and with almost no dialogue it is uh, uh it is fascinating it's at times experimental and other times genuinely unsettling. They've nailed this alien behavior to the point in which it felt truly alien. It wasn't just, well, that thing looks weird and I guess it's an alien. It was, you were getting this sense of culture and ritual and so bizarre, it's just so weird. And I don't know if you had a chance to see this flick, but if anyone's on the fence about it, I watched it because there was so much hype around it when it dropped people were talking about it and the only post i left on social media after watching it was believe the hype huh no i did not see it and i want to now because i do love alien invasions i love sci-fi horror i like sci-fi films we don't watch enough of them because i mean the, it's catch as catch can with sci-fi and i'm pretty you know, picky. I either want my space marines smoking or I want <laughs> abductions. You know, I want alien abductions. And looking at the one sheet, I, I'm suspecting that is an angle or at least avoiding an abduction. But yeah, uh, I, that's a glowing review. I am very interested in going to watch it now. Yes, I, I, I definitely highly recommend it. I, I, I can't talk. I've, I've like, I've, I've been wanting to like, gush about this movie officially and so I'm glad that you brought this idea for it because when you asked me what are your top five horror movies of 2023 before I had to think about any of the other films number one was always going to be No One Will Save You awesome okay well that is 
our top five, top ten, if you want to look at it that way, top nine with a crossover <laughs> and two honorable mentions. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for putting up your list, Wes. That's freaking awesome. I, I think we'll have to put these up on the website. Oh my god, that's such a good idea. Yes, let's do that so everyone can check it out and uh, and, and and like you said, like number one, number five, what we're saying is each one of these films is absolutely worthy of your attention. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. Lydia, what is this movie even about anyways? This movie is about how it doesn't matter how high a rent you pay in a big city, say New York or Boston, you don't have your office in your home. You don't. You don't have your office in your home. If you are a psychologist who has your office in your home, make some plans. It doesn't matter how high the rent is in what sky rise or dingy basement downtown you're going to be renting it. It won't have a closet for one and the crazies won't come to your house and terrorize your family. You need to not have your office in your home. If you're a massage therapist, if you're a photographer or if you're a psychologist, whatever you are, don't have your office in your home. Although it does make for great horror movies. My dad had his office in our home. And one of the problems when dealing with uh, an endless stream of clientele coming and going who are all small business owners uh, or contract workers, he did a lot of work for contract workers, is these loud, filthy humongous construction workers would just stomp in and they're laughing and carrying on and I'm trying to sleep and you can't really have any grounds to tell everyone to shut the fuck up because this is how your dad makes a living and I gotta tell you I agree with you 100% for the love of fucking god and plus when you're one of the things they don't talk about when your parents work out of your home they're just always there they are just <laughs> fucking always there. And it's and it's not like I wanted to like throw a party or do something that I wasn't supposed to do. I just wanted some fucking peace and quiet. I just wanted to not have my parents around. So I used to cherish uh and I know my mom listens to this show. So when I got a little older to get a job um, a lot of the times my parents would go up to the cottage and I would, well, I can't go with them because it was basically like if I was working, I could go to work and I could stay by myself. But if I wasn't working, I had to go to the cottage with them. And so I would I would be scheduled to work and then I would just call in sick when they already left. So <laughs> I could just and it's like, what were you doing, Wes? Were you having parties? Were girls coming over? A no and double no. I was literally just, I was watching TV. I was sitting on the couch watching TV and just by myself. And I would clean the house. I would clean the house because uh, my parents were messy people. There, I said it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like about what my niece would do if she had the opportunity. Because my sister also works from home. Uh, she has a she shed, as they call it now. She has a little office built outside of her house. So like... People don't have to come to like to her house. They come to her office, which is like on her property. That's a little different because there's that separation 
there and if some crazy like in the case of this movie came in without an appointment and terrorized your family at least they'd be terrorizing the she shed they wouldn't be terrorizing the household and that's a very it's a very different thing but it is it is like you said they're always there they're always 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 there but that was what struck me along with you know if the father was an architect that would have been even more horror tropey <laughs> Um, I'll get to my thoughts on the father, but this film lids opens up with a pre-credit sequence. Uh, I love the sound design in this movie quite a bit. There's a couple of things that really stood out to me. The echoey stomps of wood floors are just all over the place with some very healthy and pleasing brain tickly wumps. When people walk around and thump around and, and knock against doors and things of that ilk, we got ourselves a baby in a crib. And guess what? We're killing kids in this movie because although they don't show you, we are killing kids. And I always give it to uh, people who kill off their kids or directors, writers who kill kids in their movies. Um, I did have a question for you because you are the Stephen King expert. And I know you talked about how different this actually is from the 1973 short story. But I was curious, um, how different is it? It's quite different. Uh, of course, it's being Stephen King, he doesn't shy away from killing kids at all. That's what it's about. It opens with a much like the scene with uh, David Desmalchin's character on the couch with like, I've killed my kids. Uh, that sort of, that's how this uh, begins. In the story, there are children snatched from cribs. There are children that are left quite bloodied or blood drained. Like that's, that's very clear. But the way that it, it's mu much closer to the story that the guy on the couch is telling the psychologist is closer to this pre-credit sequence. Very interesting. What we are introduced to after the title sequence is the Harper family. Now, as we've talked about, Will is this psychologist and he has people into his home and he gives people um, their therapy sessions right then and there. And while his kids are living in the house, this this cavernous house, and we drop some lines here and there where people are constantly talking about what the psychologist is going through. And we learn fairly quickly that this is a family in turmoil. We don't have the old uh, product of divorce where we're moving into a new house that we've never seen before. We don't have the family on the rocks. We don't have anything like that we got ourselves a good old-fashioned dead mom a good old-fashioned dead mom a la 13 ghosts but he's much better off and maybe it flies in the face of my earlier assumption that you shouldn't have your office in your home because he has obviously saved a lot of money because he's rich he's basically extremely rich and very heartbroken he's doing really well with the two girls even though he is utterly heartbroken and i cannot I cannot fathom losing a spouse. I cannot fathom losing my husband. I don't, I, like in the, this man's case, his wife, I don't think he should be practicing. 
I don't think he has his feet on the ground. He's not ready. But are you ever really ready? You could go 10 years and not be ready. So, I mean, I also kind of don't blame him for taking patience again. I think that this film answers an age-old question that I've always been curious about. Should therapists be in therapy? Yes, absolutely. Because even though he has the tools and the understanding, we cannot self-assess. And we cannot, we, we just can't. And, and even though I found it hysterical how obtuse of a man he could be in a sweater that woolly, you'd think he would have a little bit more insight into his own psyche, but you can't see the forest for the trees, man. You're just too close to this type of pain. And it was pretty much painted to us later on in the film that okay he was the type a work dad that brought home the bacon and he married a hippie basically that just had a home studio and painted and smoked doobies that was and did was a mom a separate but equally important work in running a family and that was what her responsibility was. Now he's saddled with full responsibility. And he does not have a hippie bone in his body. I think uh, to your point of should therapists have therapists, absolutely, because they are taking on a lot of weight. I mean, it's really hard to work in those sorts of fields without taking some of your work home with you. And when you never leave your home, I bet you that it is tenfold. My mom worked at a rape crisis center for a short while, maybe two years when I was young, and she had to stop because she couldn't bear coming home with that in her mind. Uh, these images, these thoughts, and this anger, this this anger. And I'm sure that with a lot of the societal ills that end up on your doorstep, as a psychologist, I mean, it would be hard to shake, let alone while you're dealing with tremendous grief. Uh, and And whether he could bring home the bacon still, which undoubtedly he can, and he probably has lots of bacon in the bacon bank, but he <laughs> could never be the mom. He could never fill those those uh, Birkenstocks. The other person who seems to be having a fairly bad time with this, although it gets cartoonishly bad, is young Sadie. She's a teenage girl. She's just lost her mother. And the most baffling aspect of this film, I will return to this again because we have a later scene, a couple of later scenes with this group of girls, but she happens to have possibly the meanest friend group this side of Scream 1 that I've ever seen in my entire life. And to, to the factor where I found it laughably unbelievable that I was, I was trying to think of the biggest assholes I know about... You know, like the time I went to school in in a Ren and Stimpy shirt, and all my kids made and all the kids made fun of me because I drew the pictures on myself, and uh, that's a whole other story. It was a good birthday present, but I mean, the kids did make fun of me. Thankfully, I brought a sweater along to cover it up. But that's different from your fucking mother dying and everyone knowing that your mother died. And not only could there be one person who somehow hates Sadie so much that they are going to um, like throw shade. Absolutely. That's 
kind of believable, but not so directly. And then no one, including her best friend, like this random girl that has a couple of scenes. I don't get this fucking aspect of the film at all. Why do we need to go to school with Sadie to hang out with these fucking bitches? I just don't, I don't get it. Like they're so fucking cruel. Did you find it? Like, I, I know like everyone's been bullied. I get that. But this, this is ridiculous. Like there had to be some mechanism for these horrible fucking girls to shove her in a closet. And I think that that's what they came up with. They're like, this is the goal and this is what has to happen to get there. I don't care what it takes to get there. And I don't like that sort of writing typically. I also found it kind of comical because they were so very typical of kids. They were sitting around bored and looking at their phones because there was no drama going on. There was no one to bully at the moment. They just had to pick the sort of unpopular girl because her mom's dead. Yeah, I agree with you that it's weird. I remember being at a school dance once and it was the joke going around was you go, you get somebody to go and tell someone else that they dance just like their mom. So then that person turns to them and says, my mom can't dance. She's dead. (laughs) And I never really understood the joke because I have a kind of a flat affect as far as my personality goes. So I was like, oh, well, those girls told me to say that you you dance like your mom. So did they know your mom's dad? Like, And the person's mother would never be dead. So it wasn't funny. I never understood how that was funny. But there is precedent for that in those weird school kids books. I hardly remember that stupid joke. Where you like, I don't know what kind of humor that is, where you have other people involved to try and like make a fool of somebody, but it's all just a lie anyway. I've never understood that. So there is some precedent for it. It reminds me of a whole bunch of those kids from the movie Psycho Gorman. The little girl is obviously like totally psychotic. It's like four of those are her friends. It's very weird. I I get, I get your complaint, (laughs) how unbelievable these girls are. It's, it's this the the opening sequence with these gang listen to this and i'm not fucking making this up this is in the fucking movie sadie wears her mother's dress to school just as like i want to wear my mother's dress my mother has recently died this is my first day back to school and i just want to keep a little bit of my mother with me um one of her friends makes fun of her for wearing the dress and then when Sadie tries to stand up for herself, her friend shoves her violently into a locker, crushes Sadie's lunch, and yogurt goes all over her dress. She bursts into tears, and her friends proceed to laugh at her. That is not an exaggeration. That is like, who the fuck does that? Like, like... All of them are fucking psychotic, and me, and like, don't even get me started on Bethany. Because the, the 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 aspect that you are supposed to get is Bethany is her best friend, and then all of a sudden they started ha- Bethany started hanging out with this new group of girls, and they all hate Sadie for some reason. But even if you hate someone, their dead mom, you ruined their dead mom's dress that they wore to school on their first day back from being away because their mom died, and you're like, ha ha ha, what? And everyone's like, hoo, hoo, hoo. and then Bethany's still friends with these people. And she tries to have a heart to heart with her in the bathroom later. Like, we're best friends. You're not my friend. You're psychotic. Like, you all should be medicated. Moving on. Now, it's movies like this that 
convince people that they need friends when they clearly don't. There was also three people writing this, and I bet they were all homeschooled. That's my biggest explanation <laughs> for it, because kids in school don't really behave like this, or, or maybe they do, and I'm out of touch. I, I don't really like, know. Bullying exists, and that's absolutely true. And I'm sure that someone listening right now is like, well, you know, this this never happened to you. This never happens to anybody when people's parents and siblings are close to them die, there is a reprieve for five fucking minutes unless you're dealing with literally mentally ill people who are like sociopaths. That is like the only time that that wouldn't happen. Anyways, um, I'm getting, we're getting in the weeds with this stupid uh, plot point that I no, hate. That's okay because it's, we, we, we now invite these girls to our home. That's what we do. <laughs> that's how we figure this out. <laughs> yeah. well, don't worry, it'll be fun. No, it won't. No, it won't, Sadie. Run away. Um, the... When Lester Billings, great name, I loved it. I was like Lester Billings, like it's such a, it's such a good, it's such a, such a good character name. I was just really into it, and I had no idea that Dave Desmolchin was in this film, and I was pleasantly surprised when I saw his character open that door, and he's looks like he's got a very coiled spring, and he looks really disheveled. He looks quite. Um, like, you know, he's going to pull out an acoustic guitar at any second and just start singing you the saddest song you've ever heard in your life, a death wail, a song only a man who's lost three kids could say. And he seems dangerous, not quite sixth sense coming to your house therapist dangerous, but still, uh, you don't know what he's going to do. Like, what are you going to do, buddy? Are you going to flip out? So Will first tries talking to him like, uh, a human being and says, you know, hey man, like, the, like we we didn't do an on phone consultation. I don't take people in off the street, etc., etc., etc. He, as a psychologist, recognizes that this person is in crisis and is is having a, a, a you know a mental health crisis, and so he goes into therapy mode and he starts to listen, and he tries to figure out exactly why Lester Billings is there. I really do enjoy the name choice here as well. Both the names, Dr. Harper and uh, Lester Billings, are from the story. And Stephen King's just always been really good at crafting names, so I'm glad they didn't change them. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy the story he goes to tell. And if this would have been a short story that just began and ended with this scene and then ended the way that the story does, because the story ends in this consultation. The story is this consultation and the story he tells. Much like a lot of Stephen King stories that are sh his short stories where it's somebody that comes into a, some sort of confessional or they're in an interrogation room or in this case a psychologist's office and they tell their story and it's fucking horrifying because what he goes on to tell about how he has killed his children. And it's not as cut and dry as somebody walking into police station to say they've killed their children he walks in here just to get it off his chest he has no intention of becoming a patient <laughs> he wants to just tell his story he wants to have somebody who is paid to believe him although i guess he's not really paying him because his money's no good here <laughs> in a way <laughs> just you know he gets a chance to tell his story and it is absolutely horrific told in that coiled spring manner as you described where the way that this ends, ultimately, 
is kind of in a way the only way it could end because he is so distraught. Sadie comes home to wash her mother's dress. There's a device that they use that I wish that they had stuck with, but I suppose once Sadie's uh, danger uh, sensors were going off throughout the rest of the narrative of the story, they're not going to do it. But uh, she wears her headphones and they use that to interject fil- uh, music into um, the film to set scenes. And when they stop it abruptly, which always drives me crazy in films, that they put in, you know, five to ten seconds of a musical sting and then they're just er- like, and we're done with that song. They do it by her pulling out her headphones. So I love stuff like that. Please, if you are writing films, directing films, and you're doing stuff like that, more of that. If you want musical stings, make it make sense. While she's there, she hears a commotion. This scene is genuinely well-crafted. I thought that from the sound to the visuals, everything, the going into the mother's studio, seeing her just having the worst fucking day again sophie thatcher is amazing in this film she conveys this grief so effortlessly looking at that painting my heart broke for her and meanwhile there is something scary happening behind the door we got ourselves a dead desmolchin a very dead desmolchin and like it's it's happened fairly quickly as the the father has gone to call the police because he's so disturbed by the story of Lester Billings telling how his children have been killed one by one by this entity. So I could see it from a grown-up's point of view being like, you know, obviously this is a very disturbed individual who has probably committed murder and I need to call the police because that's what you do. Um, What the daughter has had to see is horrific. I can't imagine. I have a hard time sometimes with hanging scenes because a, a, very, a close friend of mine, her uh, boyfriend had hung himself and friends of ours had discovered him as they were all roommates. And I just cannot imagine the, the horror, the real, real horror of having seen something like that. So I think that this translates so much more horrifically to those who know of people who have been in that situation or have found people who were hanged. And it is absolutely terrifying. So I really feel for this entire family. And I wish that there had been some other recourse for them other than having to get on with their lives. And especially having a fucking birthday party after that. Because do you think they were just there for that gruesome sideshow? I betcha. That's what it's all about. Let's hang out with the freak, I guess. Um one character that we haven't uh, talked about, and there's one interesting aspect of, that this film does where they play a little bit with what characters get what screen time and what we're, who we think that the narrative is going to center around. And they uh, collect it quite brilliantly in the final moments of this film where you kind of get what they were doing. Because we spend an awful lot of time with Will Harper uh, comically uh, Lydia, if I could ever warn anyone from buying being so rich that you buy a house too big, it would be that you are constantly, oh, perhaps for 30, 35 minutes of a film in which your children are being terrorized, be at the other end of the house or somewhere, I guess, because you are just fucking vacant from this story. Um, so 
dad being in another room and not hearing things is a regular theme about this. And Lester Billings is even going to go so far as to say it's what happens when you don't pay enough attention to your children. And I started to get that sinking feeling. I'm not going to lie to you, Lydia. I was like, oh, God, is this just going to be another ham-fisted, poorly crafted remedial metaphor? Looking at you, Baba Duke. Um, but um, thankfully, that's not where, where we go with this. But I want to talk about little Sawyer Harper. I have a, a history of disliking young actors in films. Very rarely does it work for me. I call, I perhaps meanly call them peanut butter chewing children, where especially in a movie called The Boogeyman, I was shocked that I didn't have a stupid child talking through their teeth like, the boogeyman. Like, I just can't. I can't stand that. Vivian Lyra Blair is this child's name, and she's fantastic. She is fantastic. I really like the way they introduce her entirely. And yeah, she's a, a thinking, moving, breathing actor in this, not a peanut butter chewing lamp. She has real range. Sometimes she's acting scared. Sometimes she's acting like sarcastic, like a kid. Sometimes she almost seems like a mini adult. She's doing a lot of different things. This role is demanding a lot from her and seems very believable. And I kept saying to myself, wow, like this really proves that kids are resilient because the way that she could be so scared in certain scenes. And then later on, she's just sort of like back to being a kid, talking to her sister and stuff like that. But she's the one that is going to be encountering the boogeyman, let's say first. And what do you want to say about how this starts? Do we, did you get a sense? Because I, I didn't read anything. I don't look anything up. I didn't even watch a trailer. I was just like, all right, we're doing this movie. Turn it on. Let's go. And we've seen lots of films like this. Historically, we would, uh, as films like this began, it would be a, a simple haunting. We kind of moved away from hauntings uh, that were really popular in the 1960s and 70s and into the 1980s. We started uh, from the 70s over into the 80s. We start moving to demon possession. Demon possession became the thing. And then ghosts were out, demons are in. But then there was this interesting trend where ghosts came back in the late 90s and early 2000s, not uh, to forget the fact that there was a massive Asian ghost influence that came into the West because of that. And then we went back to demons. But then a weird little thing happened with these movies. And you can tell uh, the kinds of movies, the Blumhouseian movies. We got a big house. We got a family. We move away from ghosts. We start to do demons. And now there's this trend. We're doing monsters. Like, and I didn't really know what this thing was. But we got ourselves a straight-up monster. And I really like that they don't try and make us all think that it's the dad. Much like, you know, the guy that just hung in the closet. We have this idea that maybe Will thinks that he was to blame. So now it's passed on somehow that Will is to blame. Because he's under duress, isn't he? He's mm -hmm. absent, isn't he? We don't know much about him. We don't trust him <laughs> at all, really, now anymore. Uh, so... They don't do that, though, and I like that. I really like the way that they 
focus on the kid without it all being about trauma to that child. Because if there's anyone that's protected from the real world trauma going on in this world, it's this little girl. Because she has a pretty princessy life for a realistic kid. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, obviously. But they do it very realistically. So she's not 100% sheltered, but she's young enough that she doesn't remember, it seems to me, the, the real trauma that had visited this family. She's shielded from the hanging man <laughs> in the closet. You know, she didn't have to deal with any of that, but she's still, like any kid, whether they faced any sort of familial trauma, is afraid of the dark to a certain extent. And she has the coolest thing you see it in many of the posters it's in all of the trailers it is in every home sense on every corner i'm sure that moon lamp and if there's any like weapon for a kid against the dark and you mentioned the babadook that sort of trend of movies about kids that have whatever weapons whether they be cardboard or mental that, that trend, I, I can't get into it. And I would have maybe gotten into it in my teens. I would have thought that was cool because I would have just been removed from that sort of wishing I had those sort of weapons as a young child, perhaps. Uh, I, I'm not buying it. Not interested. They're usually not cast super well. They're not kids on bikes saving the neighborhood. They're kids in bedrooms shivering in the dark. Not my Not my bag. But this kid is because she has a very realistic weapon in that moon lamp that she can simply roll under the bed. I mean, there, problem solved. I remember babysitting a kid about her age that was afraid of monsters. And I said, oh, did your mom write a contract with the monsters? And he's like, what? I'm like, a contract. That's all you need. Oh, you don't have a contract? It's just a simple bit of bureaucracy. Let's get a piece of paper. We write up a contract that the monsters can only come out at noon in the full sunlight for 10 minutes. And then you sign it and then you slip it under the closet and the monster signs it. And then you don't have to be scared anymore because they're not going to come out of the closet. So Bob's your uncle, right? Right. It's as powerful as that. You were a <laughs> this good moon babysitter, lamp is so man. Cool. It's the best trick ever. You need a contract with any monster in any closet, drawer, outside the window. Yeah. They'll there... return the contract tomorrow. They don't sign it right away. They have to get their people to look at it. There was... um. And a You Afraid of the Dark episode called The Tale of the Bookish Babysitter. And I just was picturing you as the sort of witchy person that would bring books and stuff like that. And then instill a sense of wonder and magic in children's lives. I love it, Lids. I love it. Um, the narrative focuses deeply on Sawyer in this middle part of the movie. And weirdly, Sadie is taking on the role that if her mother... In, in the story concocted didn't die it would be the mother role now oftentimes when family dynamics shift like this i've known many people whose uh mothers have either left due to divorce or death and it usually falls to the eldest daughter to take on some of those roles unfortunately it's just it's tends to happen again and again um particularly there is quite a an age gap between sadie and her sister so we have these adorable scenes like the the tooth uh, doorknob scene uh, and we have her comforting her, not believing in monsters, but like let's face facts here, people. Their mother died suddenly and then a man committed suicide in their home, what, like weeks later? And so all of this tragedy surrounding this family, 
This little girl was already afraid of the dark, and it's only gotten worse because now she's seeing monsters. It's completely reasonable. Um, this isn't like everything's hunky-dory, and then out of a clear blue sky, the she walks into Sadie's room and says, I'm seeing monsters. There's a lot of things building up to this. So you can forgive everyone for not really believing what was going on. Even that sequence, they fake you out a little bit with that tooth pulling scene because you think what uh, uh, Sawyer is mad at is or scared about. She has this great reaction and you think, oh, my God, the door slammed by itself. No, she's just mad because she thinks that her sister didn't wait for three like she had promised. Uh, it's great scene. Very effective. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I really liked it, too. And as much as I didn't like those girls at her birthday party, I like the unveiling that there is something malicious in the house. In being locked in the closet, whether it is with your own demons and your grief and your uncertainty, because a man had fucking died in there mm -hmm. not long previously, th the fact that there really is something in there is done very, very, very effectively. And I think that the horror of this film, until like even and when we get to the real horrific scenes in the Lester Billings house <laughs> later on, which is a whole other setting of scary. Right now we've got these ideas floating around. The fact that there is something in this closet that we've had described to us that kills children. So the, the fear is really sitting on our couches with us as, more so than it is on the screen. But we get to see this young teen girl flipping out, like royally flipping out. She ends up hospitalized because of this near-death experience, it seems, that she's had in this closet. Did you find that it was as tense as I found it? Yes. I, I, I think that that sequence in the closet is quite tense. I think that... Um, you know, when you are uh, dealing with the like, again, like all the all the acting in this film put together is uh, everything comes off as believable. Nothing seems too hysteric. Nothing seems like a too uh, an elevated level of fear. And plus, like, you know, this this father, wherever he is, has the means to um has the means to, like, take care of his children. And so, you know, like and since something so grievous has happened around them uh it works it absolutely works now when sawyer is in therapy and they're trying to challenge her uh about her fear of the dark by using the scariest fucking method you could possibly use in your entire goddamn life someone take this woman's license away from her holy shit they're like hello little girl you're afraid of the dark are you well how about i loom over you while a red blinking light throbs maliciously and i just keep telling you that there's nothing to be afraid of like it's giving fucking willy wonka in that tunnel like it's psychotic like i don't know like forget the fact that there's a literal monster that is stalking her she ends up uh like uh, being so terrified that she wets herself, um, you know, second uh, wetting themselves movie in a row that we've done recently. But um, 
you know, and you just feel so fucking bad for her. Like she's so small and she's so scared. And, but she doesn't, she doesn't go over the top. It's not squealing. It's not like, it's just that the fact that she wet herself is just such a, a clear cut. That's how scared this little girl was. Like, and, you know, everyone's sympathetic. They're a fucking therapist and her sister, so they goddamn be well better be. But, um, it, it like, this whole thing makes you think watching this film that, okay, well, I know what this film is. It's going to be a little bit, like, uh, you know, sinister or or whatever. Like, we're, we're going to be following a haunted child, essentially, and this thing is going to try to stalk and kill her. But then we move away from that, and we're going to shift focus yet again because now this creature is very focused on sadie in a lesser film yeah we would have sadie calling a young priest an old priest or something like that and <laughs> the movie would yeah take place in this in this one house but no it's to the point where we don't trust anyone in this entire film any of the adults it seems except for sawyer and sadie because we believe what Sawyer's seen entirely. It's uh, done extremely well. Of all the boogeyman type things in the whole film industry, or even the story itself, which doesn't really describe the monster, the boogeyman, whatever it really is, uh, with any real clarity. It leaves it almost in a Lovecraftian level of uh, undescribable undescribability. Uh, we do get glimpses of this particular creature. I wanted to ask you, Lids, about this creature design, because I feel as though, again, going into the film not knowing anything, when I started to see this CGI, and the CGI is okay, um, I kind of was a little disappointed because I felt like it looked quite generic and the CGI wasn't quite there. And I felt like any time that they were showing the creature, even in passing, I just kept, I was like, oh man, this really reminds me of Mama, where I found that where the CGI in Mama, I think Mama is a great film. I think it's a great story. It's a beautiful story and it's beautifully shot. The CGI kills me and it's not even so that it's bad but it's just so void of any substance and i just i don't know what i wanted instead either better cgi less of it but the second they started showing this creature again and again i was losing interest particularly since through the drawings that we have left aside that uh, sadie did a little bit of sleuthing and the cool thing about this before I get too derailed, the cool thing about this was I loved how it was all contained within her bedroom and her father's office. That was the nice thing where we we didn't necessarily have a library scene because what do you need a library for that Google can't help you? And then literally having her father's tapes and the and the diary that Dave uh, Desma, Lester Billings left behind, sketching it out and seeing this creature. And again, I was like. I'm not loving this creature design. I've seen this before. I've seen weird black bent leg thing. The quiet place features, features creatures that look like this quite prominently. Uh, so I was just wondering, what did you think of it? Did it bother you? No, 
No, it didn't bother me very much at all because much like Mama, I can I can overlook it though. Uh, in Mama, they had Avio Bote being the creature, so to speak, and so they're wrapping some CG around Javier Bote as well. Yes, most of the times they do. I mean, there's not a heck of a lot of films where he's 100% his own uh, wild body. What they what the, you know why he's so famous of the way that he that he looks and the way he moves. Um, if if they would have had the budget, <laughs> maybe they could have had him because he's just the creature in like so many things, right? Mm. So they tried, I think, doing that without doing that. Mm. And you know, if it if it walks and talks like a duck, it's gonna it's gonna strike you as a duck. Mm. Uh, stretchy ghost face happens for a reason because stretchy ghost face happens, man. Mm-hmm. It's that's what happens in those sorts of films. So I think that. This creature reminded me of the last will and testament of Rosalind Lee, the creature in that as well, where they have to rely on CG to a certain extent. I wasn't bothered by it because it also, at the end of the day, looked like what you want the boogeyman to look like. I, hmm. The boogeyman in my dreams and nightmares, I suppose, um, if I were to have dreams and nightmares about a boogeyman, look more like this than a, a weird scruffy dude in a top hat. <laughs> well, no, that's I, the other kind of boogeyman out there, isn't no, it? No, absolutely. I, I just, I, I feel kind of bad. I'm like, man, we're really going after the Babadook today. Or Mr. Boogity. Or Mr. Boogity. <laughs> boogie, boogie, boogie. Um, what is effective about this creature that I'm obsessed with, obsessed with, Lydia, is its ability to mimic the voices of your loved ones like the fucking predator it is like the predator the thing about this creature that i'm obsessed with is its harbingers the um idea that oh it's not a, a monster in your closet it's just the way that the trees are reflecting off the ceiling with the moonlight kids the trees are blowing outside that's why it looks like there's something moving in your in your closet that's all or you know that shadow looks like a creeping mold growing across your ceilings and it's not but it is because we see it a lot of times there's these little things you know when you're watching a haunted movie and you're looking behind the character to see if you see the ghost down the hall or whatever in this you don't see a lot of that you see a lot of creeping lights across the ceiling you see a lot of mold growing in weird places or spreading up the ceilings it's it's so creepy the harbinger of this creature i think is more terrifying than the creature itself. And then you get it to the nth degree where this weird creeping mold and darkness has taken over and, and maybe spreading, you know, to, to other houses in the neighborhood for crying out loud. It is so terrifying. Like black mold actually is terrifying to people. This weird, these weird tendrils of darkness that are accumulating are, are so effective to me. It becomes this visual representation of the oppression already affecting this house. It's like uh, Lester Billings by entering this home where this creature detected essentially more food. It has a particular kind of food that it's looking for. And by passing on this infection, therefore infects this family and the symptoms are on the house itself. And it is um, making the place more oppressive. Now, we learn a thing or two, Lids, about this creature that has been tormenting Sadie. She needs help. She has been looking up Lester Billings. She has been trying to get the deal on who is this man before he died. 
And that has brought her to a baffling conversation with her friend, Bethany, who agrees to drive her to the Billings home. Now, quite apart from the fact that, again, this is a ridiculous choice. And I, she just gets to the house. You, this Bethany character is just so perfunctory for me. I cannot stand when they do this. And it almost makes me feel as though they had so much more with these characters. And they just had to, the movie's too long, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. We need this down to 90 minutes. And then what you're left with is, I guess, this random friend who kind of was in on bullying me is going to drive me to a weird house and just wait outside and kind of call her and just be, why are you in this house? I don't get it. And then like as a means of conveyance, I don't understand it. I was like, Sadie just gets to the house. You don't need your friend to drive you. It's such a fucking waste of time. Like I, anyway, that's not neither here nor there because when we get to the house, this is a cool house, Lydia. Yeah, this is this is a the house of my dreams, you know, nice and dark and drafty. Yep. It, bullet holes in every fucking wall. It's great. Shotgun spray and this creeping weird mold everywhere. Candles lit every single room in the most dangerous way you can imagine by just having the fucking things in pools of wax on the floor. It's gorgeous. There was this aspect where I was a little confused when we entered the kitchen, the kitchen, Lydia, oof, it's got piles of dishes and she opens up the fridge. I always find it hilarious when people go to these places. You're like, I, it's almost like this like perverse curiosity where you're like, Oh man, I'm going to open up this fridge and it's going to reek because that's what happens when you don't have power to your fucking refrigerator and it's full of food and it's been weeks. You open up that door. Oh, it stinks. And then you close it again. What did you, what, what could you have possibly thought was like Nazi gold in that refrigerator? You know, what was in that refrigerator, rotten food. Um, she realizes that there's a cable running across the floor and she's able to illuminate the place. Now this place is in a massive state of decay. It's all fucked up. It looks like it's been abandoned. It looks like, you know, you go on TikTok and you see a million of these, urban explorers going to places just like this but this has power and it took me a second to to uh, reevaluate what i thought this property was because uh sadie is not alone in this house there is an occupant who is stealing power from probably a neighbor or something like that to illuminate at least one section of it that's old rita billings who is uh, just kind of hanging out with a shotgun and I don't blame her because when I, I found this again, one of the more realistic um, ends that these characters would come to, if you can picture it, like this woman had her children murdered by a supernatural creature. Her husband was too scared to deal with it the way that she is. This, this woman has had her babies murdered <laughs> and her husband gone run screaming from the the house she's there alone with nothing but her linda hamilton-esque physique and a shotgun 
right? Like, and like, I believe it. I, I can absolutely believe it. I can't believe that it would happen in real reality in the middle of the suburbs just because, you know, that's more like crack houses. I can believe crack houses and grow ops happen like this, that there are houses that are this rundown inside because of crack houses and grow ops, because it's a mother that is dealing with a boogeyman, not so much. But it seems that the boogeyman is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's branched out. He's branched out because he's still <laughs> obviously very, very active in the Billings house, erstwhile checking out other closets. I guess he travels via closets. That's interesting observation that I didn't put together until you just said it. Yes, I suppose he would travel via closets like the creatures from Monsters, Inc. Um, the thing that Rita is going to impart is a little bit of lore. Now, so far, they have made no attempt to explain what this creature actually is. And that will continue. What they do do, however... You said do-do. <laughs> Lydia... We're adults. <laughs> what what they do do is uh, explain a couple of convenient bits of information, which is it likes to play with her food, get you nice and scared before it eats you. See, why doesn't this thing just kill them already? That's why. So that is um, a little bit of lore. It affects people who are, you know, miserable, essentially, going through tragedies. Uh, and it really is only interested in babies, kids, and teens. That's what it wants to eat. Will not eat an adult. Will kill an adult, but doesn't really want to eat them. So I don't know what these babies got going for it, but this thing loves to eat a fresh baby. And it just wants to terrorize and oppress, again, quite demonic but i think that it's not a demon it just comes off straight up as a monster of some kind um and that seems to be enough they don't really want to i'm i i, I would almost guarantee that if you were to look hard enough into folklore of some kind you would find creatures that could resemble something like this uh in some country some religion something something kind of inspired it could have also been wholly created for the film I do enjoy the fact that they don't really want to spend too much time trying to over-explain it. Um, and they also show, even though I was complaining about the creature's design, a lot of restraint when it comes to this type of thing. But Rita does take a shot at it because it's over her shoulder. And, and she could see that, like, you know, hello, old friend, and she's going to blast this fucking thing. Uh it seems scared enough of bullets. Yeah, because that's really the end of the day. What we find out from this almost library scene of finding out the origin of this as far as they know it, its weaknesses, uh, and, and like, of course, its strengths is that it eats babies and it travels from closet to closet <laughs> and can be anywhere, anywhere you want to be. Uh, it's, it's terrifying in that way and it's supernatural strength and all that stuff. But it can be hurt. So you must be able to kill it, and it's afraid of the light. Like oh. some pretty nice, uh, almost prehistoric strength. We have light, and we can kill stuff. You know, we, we have maybe not a leg up, but we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe to, with this thing if we have it in the right um, sort of circumstance. 
And I guess Rita, who is is Lester Billings' wife, had the right idea in trying to lure (laughs) a young person there in a way or waiting for the next young person to come traipsing in there so that she can get a good shot at it. It's rude, it's cruel, but I mean, she that's all that she has. She all she knows is that it goes for young kids, babies and teens, no one older. I can hurt it. I must be able to kill it. It's afraid of light, so you like get into the dark with a kid. It's the only chance that she's going to have. So you kind of can't blame her for that. She's fucking crazy though. Do you th- do you believe that she's crazy? She's unhinged. Have you ever met somebody quite like this? Yes, I have. And it's, again, much like her husband, it's that coiled spring. She's willing to talk. She's willing to be calm. She's willing to give information. But she is on a hair trigger. And not least of which is her literally firing her gun. Sadie running for her life, as far as she's concerned, off that house, out of that property. We have ourselves a reunion of sorts. Because, oh, oh yeah, you forgot he was in the movie. I know I did. Fucking dad's back. And what did dad show up to do? Nothing really helpful. Take all of mom's stuff out of her studio and uh, get rid of it. And then with the mildest of protests, he's like, okay, yeah, we can keep it all. Just put it in the basement. Um, As Sadie's walking down to that basement, I was like, ugh, there better not be a big old stinking metaphor in this fucking basement. Um, (laughs) there's not, there's just more boxes. A lot of the stuff that was, uh, damaged by, you know, either Lester running through there or the creature slashing a painting or two. She does find, uh, her mom's stash. She also finds a video recorder that has her mother singing that song to her as she was a little baby happier times i'll forgive i like the scene so i'll forgive the cliche here's a video of your dead mom uh type thing that you can wistfully watch and love she decides to take this old 90s camcorder to school and has another again baffling scene with with uh bethany where they're like yeah we're all gonna come to your house and it's gonna be a grand old time It's not a grand old time. It sucks. And the whole time that they were setting up this scene, I was like, for the love of God, please. I can't survive these fucking girls again. Like, I can't survive this. This is this is more anxiety inducing than the actual horror that's going on in this fucking thing. Going like having a bunch of people over like to your home and they're all just sitting in your room awkwardly and no one's talking. Everyone's fucking bored. And it's the transition of like, you open the door and they're all like, ah, like it's like slumber party. And then hard cut immediately to them all just like sitting in a circle. Like no one's talking, no one's doing anything. And it's misery. It's fucking misery. And there's just all this thinly veiled animosity towards Sadie who is painful it's fucking painful and the only reason why i forgive this scene for existing is because it sets up a scene that i fucking love which was uh sawyer playing playstation and being hunted by the monster which i thought was really fucking cool but this um gaggle of girls implodes on itself when they 
lock her in the closet. She can't get out. There's the creature in there in the dark. This is the same closet that like uh, Lester Billings hung himself in. Again, she's locked in there. She's freaking out. It's now an empty closet. They can't open the door. She smacks the blonde one who's like, and then of course, no, like even her friend who set this whole fucking thing up, they all just like storm out of here, like throwing insults, like throwing insults at their father, at their family. Like I was like, holy fucking shit. What a nightmare. I think they just didn't know how to write her into that closet. I mean, even the, the let's smoke a little weed doesn't really even help that scene because it could have happened 100% straight, too. So, like, that doesn't really help the, the narrative, I don't believe. Uh, it is just awkward. I think they just really had to write her into that closet and they couldn't think of a better way to do it. They couldn't be that cliche and introduce a new girlfriend of the dad's or something at that point mm. that would have ended up with her going in the closet for whatever stupid reason. They couldn't have the sisters have another experience with a door or the closet door because it would have just been too close to what we get at the beginning. So they couldn't really do that. They just had to write her into the closet somehow. With other people around, so there'd be all like a cacophony. I love that word, by the way, cacophony. Um, the That's a good word. Yeah, um, it's um, the tooth scene, that tooth on a string. That was nice and gross. I liked that removal scene. That was very cool. But again, it's all just like they they couldn't have done like they couldn't have made it more fucking horrendous for Sadie if they tried. The more so than her getting stalked from up, they're like wrecking her stuff. They got the camcorder now. They're like pretending to record her. And I thought, oh my God, did they fucking record over? That would just be the icing on the cake. Like I've recorded over your the, the dead mother singing a lullaby to you as a baby video. Thankfully they didn't go that far, but like everything is just a fucking nightmare. Now the deal with Sawyer is even though she's been terrorized for more than half the movie, you just dangle that PlayStation controller in front of a kid's face lids, and I'm telling you, they just want a game. She is 100% real gamer, and she wants to play games. And consequently, she is going to be alone in a room by herself while this creature stalks her. And then, in what I think is so clever and so cool, I just liked it, she started to realize that this thing was looking at her with its little button beady eyes and she starts using her characters like a little archer. I don't know what she's playing. I believe she's Link shooting arrows. It's possible, although that would be confusing since she's playing a PlayStation. However, it's not really relevant. Oh, you're but, right. But what is cool is she uses the arrow attack that lights up the screen to light up the room. Um, I was convinced that they fucking killed this character. I was like, there's no way her dragging like she again like she's like this kid is such a fucking good actor like it, it was so she was clever but still a kid like i just loved this scene and i was so like heartbroken because i definitely thought they killed her and i was like oh my god like that's like kudos for them like i love a movie that goes hard but, like, for me, the audience, I'm like, ugh, but that's what you want. I want to feel something, right? Make me feel something. And so, but she wakes up in the hospital, and she's okay. And, like, clockwork, Rita calls and says, I have a plan. Now, gang, 
here's a little advice from me to you. If a nut job brandishing a shotgun the last time you saw her calls you up and says, I got a plan to get rid of this thing once and for all. Come alone. Trust me. Wink, wink. Don't go. <laughs> Don't go. Yeah, where's where's Bethany now? Like, why would you trust this kook? Outside of a scenario like The Walking Dead, when you've really got no other port in that storm. Uh, yeah. Suburban, almost like junky looking, crazy Linda Hamilton. No thanks. <laughs> um, it's a, a trap, of course. It's a trap. It's but like, she's like, don't worry, I won't let it hurt you. Um, well, great, I suppose. She zip tied her. Um, Sadie's been taking her self defense course. She did. She did know how to break those zip ties. I was like, "Yeah, right on, chick." Like that's how you do it. Um, and then when this creature shows up and we shoot it, and I, it looks like it dies. We she even uh, Rita like double taps it. I'm like, okay, I guess if it bleeds, we can kill it. Arnold Schwarzenegger taught us that. So I is is it dead? It's wicked not dead. And. I, I, in that last moment of Rita's life, I kind of felt bad for her because she's asking Sadie. She's like, Sadie, help. Sadie, help. I'm like, uh, you zip-tied this girl to a pipe. Like, the only reason why she even got out of that pipe was because by some luck, miracle, you shot the pipe. You could have easily blown her fucking head off. I really think that Rita really thought she had it, that she could get it, that she would, you know, it would be scary and that Sadie might get hurt. But I really think she wasn't going to wait till it was like swallowing her ass before shooting it. She was certainly going to be shooting it the very first chance she got, like she did. I think like, yes, it's wrong and it's cruel to use people as human bait. In any movie that it happens, it's usually wrong and cruel and it's even better for us as the audience when it's very wrong and super cruel and this is wrong and cruel but I don't think that at the end of the day she was going to wait till Sadie was killed to attack this thing because that's never probably worked very well for her in the past she has three kids that are dead so if she had figured out the boogeyman at any point through that game it probably didn't go very well so you know it's what did it regenerate in the light did she really not get it are there more than one who knows I wonder about that more than one thing I really do um this thing looked very dead but I suppose it's not and not only is it not dead but it is just full of life now she had an ace in the hollow lids she didn't really have to worry about Sawyer because Sawyer is in a uh you've been to a hospital it's nothing but fluorescent lights in there. There's there's not a shadow cast anywhere. And it's surrounded by people. She is more than safe. Oops, no, dad brought her home. And in a twisted bit of irony, um, dad, you're not listening. And he's like, okay, I'm listening. And then he gets pulled into the darkness of his own home. Is it in the creepy basement? Is it the creepy basement that you were like, oh, God, here we are. We go to Clichésville at 60 kilometers an hour. Um, yeah, you know what's so funny? Because I kept compare. I, I kept thinking, man, this alien or monster looks like a, uh, the creature from The Quiet Place. Another film that ends in a basement. Kind of stretching the, the idea 
further to the fact that this creature doesn't really eat adults. Sawyer has uh, cleverly surrounded herself in Christmas lights and hidden in a closet where the creature can't get her. And when they get to the basement and they see their father, he is also still alive. I love this sequence. I normally am kind of done with movies, if that makes sense. I'm just kind of like, and in the next 10 minutes, this thing's going to die and we're done. So I, I'm kind of like not really paying attention all that close. But there were so many things in this sequence that I loved. And I fuck, I've been talking a million times. You say something. So did, did you like this sequence? I do. And I really, it made me, it reminded me that kids are really lucky with the lights these days. When we were young, we didn't have a lot of light up things. When I used to babysit, the kids I babysat didn't have a lot of light up things. It wasn't till I had babysat as an adult for like this one time for a friend of mine that really needed a babysitter's babysitter canceled. And I was astounded by the fucking circus of Christmas lights and bullcrap in this kid's room. There were like there was like a little lamp in the corner, a little mobile and like fairy lights everywhere. The fairy lights. Oh, my God. Fairy lights everywhere. Uh, so if I had watched this 10, 15 years previously, I'd be like, what kid has this much fucking light up things around them? What kid has this perfect light up moon thing? What kid would know where the Christmas lights are or have them handy because there's like everyday lights like fairy lights that adorn every booktuber's bookshelf these days. So it, it, it fits and it's believable. There are a zillion light up things in every parent's home, it seems, which is weird to me. Have we grown more and more afraid of the dark as time goes on or something? I, I think we've just grown more addicted to the vibes. And I say this as a person who has fairy lights in his house. Uh, don't ask me, I just live here. But I do have fairy lights in the house and I think it's like it's not so much the light maybe for little kids it might make them feel better I never I had a I had a Batman nightlight when I was a little kid you put it in and it lit up and it was Batman uh, that was good enough for me I could see it on the corner of my bed so I was like there's some light uh, th then I just did, the, the dark didn't really bother me all that much uh, but uh, yeah I think it's just uh, like it's, it's like lights became like a part of an aesthetic and people don't like overhead lights. They only like, you know, side lamps and fairy lights and stuff like that. And no one turns on their main lights anymore. Uh, I think that has something to do with it. Maybe, but yes, you're right. We have automatic lights all over this house, but they're not necessarily lighting up things in the, at the nighttime. Like at night we have lights out. I don't have decorative lights. Usually I have like spotlights and stuff and lights for filming, which is very different, but not mood mm. lights. And it has become like, maybe it's the technology that's available, the LED lights that mm. you can have on everywhere for pennies, a glass, it seems. You can have them on all the time without really having a, a drain on your electricity. Cause I don't know about you, but when I was little, my parents were very like, what, is there no one in the bathroom? Why is the light on? Turn the light off. Like, cause it's mm -hmm. costing money. Don't turn the lights on during the day. You can see the the sun is like, it's perfectly bright in here. Why is that lamp on? Turn it off kind of mm -hmm. thing. So maybe it's just that old holdout. But do you know what the best and most amazing light is that is basically free that we've been using since prehistoric times, Wes? 
Who's that? It's fire. It is fire. And it's the one thing that, even though we have candles all over that Lester Billings house, no one's really talked about lighting this fucking thing on fire, which is where this ends up. And I mean, it's the kind of like the duh uh, solution to this boogeyman problem. But I guess we haven't had enough instances of it killing people with people like Rita in her Linda Hamilton mode. If she would have had a tiger torch or flamethrower, maybe she would have got to this point. Or maybe if she would have had a bunch of gasoline to splash on it with all her candles everywhere, it would have worked out properly. But instead, we have a teen girl figuring that out. We do. Um, Sadie is quite a resourceful young woman. So is Sawyer. There is a, a, a little bit of joy, or perhaps a lot of joy, I should say, watching this sequence where the dad finally can see this creature and he you know, grabs a broken off hockey stick and saves his fucking daughter for once and is useful. He gets chucked against a brick wall quite brutally and breaks his ankle for his trouble. But there is this sequence that I was just obsessed with. And if I could just go back, I might watch this on like a three second loop. It's Sawyer tossing Sadie the the canister. And it's the Will like fucking just like roundhouse kicking this thing in the face. And then Sadie blasting it right in the mush with fire. That like I was like yeah family combo I was to I was totally into it like it it may it may be um not as hitting you on the head as what these people needed to do was come together as a family listen to each other and take on this creature that is essentially feeding off of their misery and the the way to really defeat it is is like this. It was almost like we were we were uh, in the sewers and it. It was like this this collective. We see you. We're acknowledging you. We're not afraid of you anymore. This creature almost seemed depowered because, in a weird way, I, again, not to keep bringing up the quiet place, but you know, for the whole fucking movie, those things were like impervious to bullets, and then until they weren't, right? And this whole thing seemed virtually impervious. Like like we saw it take buckshot multiple times. And it didn't, it would take it down, but it wouldn't take it out. And so both using what you were pointing out earlier, these primal forces, not just the primal sense of family, but the primal use of fire, which is light manifest. And so like, I, I, I just really dug this. The other thing that just, I knew they were going to do it. And instead of rolling my eyes, I was like, Fuck yeah! We got a little assist from Ghost Mom. Little assist from Ghost Mom. I mean, and it reminds me again of 13 Ghosts, although a good version of it because there's nothing. And when we talked about 13 Ghosts on the show, I hate the whole love you guys. Ghost Mom saving your ass. Love you guys. It's totally different than that. Thank God, because if it would have devolved into love you guys. Spark, spectral ghosty mom sparkling like twilight vampire no uh, the, the action of this and the monster dying is almost golem looking death uh, is my favorite I think that my ultra favorite aside from like earlier before this we have the young girl Sawyer 
running out of cord on her Christmas lights mm. and panicking. She's such a good actress. You're totally right there. Um, I, we have Sadie doing the very teen girl thing of a lighter and a can of hairspray or whatever. It is a can of something that she has. Yeah. It could be WD-40. Have yeah. you ever done that? Use a, your own flamethrower like that with an aerosol can? Hell yes, I have done that. And in that same sort of kid experimentation where you do it and you scare yourself because you're like, holy shit, it works. <laughs> I did that. My sister kept coming into my room and bugging me and bugging me and then making a thing of it of coming to my room to bug me. And the last time she came that particular day, I greeted her with a can of hairspray and a lighter and it scared me. I felt so bad, scared the hell out of her. I got in a lot of trouble, but she wouldn't leave me alone. And I thought that would solve it and it solved it. But I, I never played with that particular toy again because yeah, it was, it was very terrifying. Fire solves your problems. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I, I really like this, whole ending and if there's one way to really get your whole family together ghost mom included it's to face off uh, this incredible foe absolutely incredible foe did you find that the cgi was at the exact same level or did you find that uh, uh, like it's death throws it's death scene was it improved or was it worse the like the worst cg the worst creature effect i think that two sequences of the creature turned me around on it. The death sequence with the fire was very good. And then also the extra detail of this creature that we had never seen before is we got ourselves some hands coming out of a mouth and there's something inside another face. And it's saying, hush, darling. It was like, at first I thought, Oh, it's got little tentacles. It's got little Cthulhu nodules coming out of its mouth. And then you're like, those are hands. Ugh. It's got like gross, almost arms like that creature in that one movie that we were, we watched where they were, those fellows lost in the woods. What was that movie? And there's like a Mm. big reindeer thing with like the arms coming down. The ritual. Right. Thank you. Uh, The ritual. Mm. Great film. Uh, but it kind of reminded me that I hadn't seen anything like that since then, where you have just like these weird human arms and this other face coming out and you're like, Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's it doing? And it starts siphoning her life force away from her or something. It was crazy. It was very interesting. Listen, when that thing is sitting around on its own and we got a really clear shot of it, what are we really saying here? It looks fake, but it always kind of looks fake because it's a thing that doesn't <laughs> exist. Like, yeah. like whether it would be a creature, a man in a suit, uh, an animatronic device, w- w- or a CGI creature, it's always going to look fake. I have never once been fooled by a fucking monster in a movie. I don't care how they fucking designed it. I never thought that that was real for a second. So what are we really... Com- about it's about how everyone's reaction contributes to the effectiveness of the creature that we're looking at and in this sequence i bought that this was a threatening thing that was in the room with them that they needed to fight that being said 
it looks a hell of a lot better when it's on fire. And I think that's just because you're not contending <laughs> with the with the floaty mismatched lighting of the creature. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. I I really did like this, and you had that sense of 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 real accomplishment too. Like believing that this thing is dead, believing that was a hard fight, believing that they just got it by the skin of their teeth as well. It wasn't just like, you know, we watched the uh, a lot of the Hobbit movies and we watched The Desolation of Smog over the holidays. And it's just, it's always going to be, oh, that one chink in the armor, that one little spot, that one little tiny arrow takes down the dragon. You know, it was it was not one little tiny arrow taking down this dragon. It was a concerted and and violent effort from all family members. Yes, very effective. And the 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 piece de resistance is I thought that oh okay well the creature is going to burn it's going to be contained and all of his his root system is going to burn and then we're done with this creature. But no, um, the the entire house goes up. So if you have a fetish of watching a big beautiful house get completely decimated uh, by a metaphor in the basement. Uh, then uh, you know, watching all of Mom's stuff marked keep get burned, watching the 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 dress. Uh, I mean, it's a demonstrable example of moving on together as a family. They all helped their father. The one person who needed help, everyone was focused on the girls. No one was really focused on the dad, but the dad wasn't talking. He wasn't expressing himself. He wasn't admitting the trauma that was around him, uh, that he was experiencing. And, uh, you know, they lead him out of the house and they watch their family home burn to the ground. Uh, they'll probably be okay, although try explaining that to your insurance company because, I mean, they did throw naphtha or kerosene or, or paint thinner all over the place and then light a match and you know uh someone went into the basement and uh used an incendiary device and and lit it on fire people who like job it is to figure that stuff out will know how that fire started and you can't be like well it's to kill a big monster so you know <laughs> good thing he had his office in his house and saved so much money um <laughs> i suppose one little easter egg that is not quite an easter egg and you know when it comes to the Stephen King universe, the multiverse, if you will, I'm I'm not a and I'm not an expert. I, I do wish I had the Stephen King multiverse and a constantly updated digital LED version of it. I suppose uh, writ large on my wall, uh, so I could like keep track of all this stuff. Um, but I do notice some Easter eggs here and there sometimes, and it seems to me as they're going up the stairs when everything's burning down, there is a box of toy soldiers underneath the stairwell and i suppose that would be something you could have around christmas time but there's no little boys in the house and i don't think that it's like the father's leftover toys and the dad's not a child psychologist so him having a, a, a you know i'll do this the sexist way and call it a boy's toy because it usually colloquially was in the times when we played with toy soldiers which you know as so many other problematic reasons why people don't play with toy soldiers I'm sure anymore. I don't know if you can go to a toy store and still get toy soldiers but if these came from the Morris Toy Company, which I I did slow the film down when I initially watched it uh, to see if it did say the name of the toy company I don't remember if it did but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the exact one but it's toy soldiers nevertheless two stories later in the book Night Shift 
where this story appears in print after it had originally been published. So it was published in Cavalier magazine, 1973. 1979, it's published in Night Shift. There's a story Grey Matter after it, and the story after that is called Battleground that features a box of toy soldiers. So I'm wondering if that will be another property we see in the next little while, if it's foreshadowing, or if it was just happenstance but if it's happenstance it doesn't make any sense to me as i said there's no little boy in the house the father doesn't seem to have any of his leftover things in fact the father likes to throw out things that are nostalgic so i don't think it belongs to him so it just seemed a weird little placement and maybe a little stephen king multiverse easter egg very interesting i definitely would hope that'd be a neat little thing to include if that was the case and um even if it was like narratively oh like maybe like maybe the daughters did have those toys and maybe it's also an easter egg to for things to come both things can be true i think but very cool the this film just tapers off with a therapy session that their father um finally agrees to have uh i suppose after all that he you know the, he's already uh, experienced something scary so let's talk about the fear that he thought was important beforehand finally the therapist gets some therapy and he talks about how terrified he was to be a father and that their mother made it look so easy i don't know if i love this scene i feel like you could have left it on the family looking at their house burning and cut to credits and i would have gotten everything that i needed for it but i accepted the fact that it was just more time with a group of actors that were really killing it in a scene that I didn't really think was necessary, but at the same time, more time with characters I, I've come to like and actors that I've come to in, uh, like watching. So I took it like that. And for uh, Sawyer to sort of lord it over her dad, like, here, you, I, I had to deal with the scary therapist. Now it's your turn, asshole, Leo. No, I think that this <laughs> whole scene is fan service because... As I'd mentioned previously, the story, the original story, takes place 100% in the therapist's office. It's this guy comes in, he tells a story, and he doesn't kill himself in the story. He leaves to make an appointment with the receptionist outside because it's not in the doctor's house. It's an actual office somewhere else with a receptionist. Mm -hmm. The receptionist has stepped out. So he goes back into the doctor's office, and the doctor is removing his doctor mask and it is the boogeyman oh we do have a bit of a take on that in which we hear the therapist call sadie to come back and instead of them all hearing it and turning around and coming together they just i suppose her father and sister just walk out to the car and let sadie hang out in the doctor's office for another couple of minutes without wondering, huh, I wonder where Sadie went. Um, again, like this dad's problem of being 10 feet out of ear range really just makes him not exist. It's like, it would be imagining if your like, uh, parents went to the other end of the house and they're like, goodbye, I'm going to turn to dust now. I'll be back in a few hours. I don't know what you're going to do on this side of the house, but you can scream as loud as you want and I won't hear anything. Bye. Um, so uh, Sawyer and Will turn to dust when they go to the car and Sadie has one last scare. 
again for a half a second there i was like please don't kill this character like i like sadie so much like um I, and but then they just kind of did it like a sort of baffling is it here is there another one what do you think because i wanted to ask you that are there more than one of these creatures i don't know and i don't know if one actually was killed in billing's house and there's another one that reattacked and killed rita if there's a, a a network um a lot like monsters inc from closet to closet and there's another like level of creatures these ancient creatures because they strike me as ancient creatures hmm. um and there's you know maybe a family of them or an entire ecosystem of them or there's just one unkillable one or she didn't hear a thing and there's no monster in that closet in the therapist's office at all it's hard to tell it is really hard to tell i think that there's a weird sense of isolation in this film um where you would think that this deconstruction of a family the 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 deaths surrounding it. We have we have like some scenes with police officers and doctors, but not really a whole hell of a lot. And everyone's just kind of left on their own. And I'd wondered how many times would this have happened to a family where they weren't getting outside help or they didn't really in a meaningful way seek outside help. They're only talking to experts and therapists and police officers when tragedy already happens. But meanwhile, all this other stuff is happening. So does it only happen when the parents are just consistently saying, no, 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 there's nothing going on. Stop saying that you're seeing monsters. Um, and that brings me to my final point, which I think that in the hands of experts, even the most humdrum basic plot with a kind of generic looking creature for the most part and an extremely unfortunate generic title, which was one of the reasons why I didn't watch this movie. The Boogeyman. First of all, there's an entire franchise of horror movies that are just called Boogeyman, which are not good. And mm -hmm. and it just, how many times have we heard that word? I just, like, I, I find it a ridiculous word, a ridiculous idea. It's not scary. Um, I find it elevated to absurdity in the Halloween franchise. Like, I, I just find it weird. And so all of these things seem so generic but it fucking works. All of it worked. And I think that has everything to do with the cast. The cast made this fucking work for me. Really severely made it work. And 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 uh, that goes also with the directing. And a lot of the writing is really good. Even though you have the basic building blocks of a plot we've seen a thousand times. So I, I really urge people, like, don't be like me and wait for your co-host to suggest this for an episode of your horror podcast which you definitely have yeah y'all do forget the generic title and don't even read a description um well you've heard us spoil the whole fucking movie but go and see it for yourself and I, you're gonna see what i'm talking about because if this seems like not your thing it's fucking good like it's just good i absolutely agree and that's why i brought it to the show because i think that it really helps invigorate this like not just PG horror, but this family with a problem, child actors, 
little library scenes where people have to investigate things on their own by talking to the previous uh, victims of this thing, whatever it is. It, it does a lot of that right. And it does a lot of it really well. And it's just a solid film. And it is genuinely creepy. It's very atmospheric. So if you like, if you are like me and you like a lot of those Blumhausian films because you kind of got nothing else <laughs> on the slab and they do a good enough job. If you want a horror movie like that, that is genuinely scary. I think that this does a lot better work than any of the insidious films actually do. It's not hokey at all, even though it's called the boogeyman of all fucking things. Cause I do agree. Like that is like a sore point for me when it comes to the Halloween movies, especially the end where people are blubbering about the boogeyman. I mean, it, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> Sorry, but it works here. And the first time that Lester Billings says it's the boogeyman, it's actually kind of unsettling. It has the opposite effect for whatever reason and i don't know what trick of light they used to make it actually work and be unsettling but they pulled it off somehow no i completely agree and a lot of that again just going back to the cast dave DeSmolton, like that's the exact actor you need to do that that's a pivotal scene a pivotal scene at the very beginning of the movie and if that scene don't work with that actor then none of it works you're not going to buy the premise whatsoever yeah absolutely agreed so what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we have a GM Haunted Asylum. And I'm pretty interested to get to this because I watched it and I enjoyed it quite a lot, especially the drone scene for whatever reasons. But uh, yeah, after that, I don't know where we're going because we're going to do something a little less new because as we were talking before we started recording, we realized almost every movie we've done in the past little while has been from the 2000s and uh, some very recent. So <laughs> I love doing recent films. This, The Boogeyman, is the most up to the minute shit you're going to get from Dead Air for a little bit, I think. But yeah, Gungeum Haunted Asylum, which is technically a West pick. It is technically a West pick. Uh, I've also, uh, I've seen this movie before. I've enjoyed it immensely. And it is consistently absolutely scared the shit out of anyone that I've ever recommended it to. Um, it is so effective and it's South Korea doing what South Korea does best. Scare the fucking shit out of people with concepts that we've seen before. Uh, again, so in keeping with the boogeyman, it's like, have you seen a found footage film where people go into a haunted asylum? Yes, but you ain't seen this. I'm looking forward to it, even though it's a rewatch on both ends. Uh, I hadn't watched it for like a year at least. So yeah, very excited. And on that note, I'm Wes Knipe. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. Talk about the boogeyman. If you like this show, you can find more episodes and other content on splatterpictures.net, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. You can also find us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. The show is edited by Lydia Peaver and hosted by Lydia Peaver and me, Wes Knipe. We'll see you next time.